the things we've talked about over the last few weeks in our series called Just One, this may be his favorite, this idea. Like this may be God's favorite concept of just really figuring out how do you tell the story of God's story in your life. And so we're wrapping up this series today and, and we've, been, we've been really intentional. The first week we talked theology and talked about um, Luke 15 and about all the lost things in Luke 15, a lost uh, coin and a lost sheep and a lost son and, and, and how, don't you hate it when you lose things? Like, I hate losing my keys. I have this little box that I make everyone in my family put their keys on, and they don't do it. <laughs> and I got to move the car, and I don't know where the keys is, and it, there's one phrase that drives me nuts. I hate it, I hate it, I hate it. It's, when I ask where's the keys, my wife says, in my purse. <laughs> it might as well be in the great abyss. <laughs> I won't find it for several minutes. I hate losing things. God doesn't like it either. He doesn't like losing people. And I don't know if you've ever lost your kids, you know, if you have any kids, <laughs> like in the store or something. Oh, it's, here, here's the weird thing about losing, here's the thing about losing your kids. It's like, it's like you're there, you're like you're in the grocery store, for instance, and you're just wandering around, and you're like, What? $3.95 for ham? No way! And you're so upset about ham. And then suddenly, your kid's gone, and you don't care about the ham anymore. The ham doesn't matter. You can throw it, you can, you can drop it on the ground. Your kid is missing, and you, nothing else matters. The price of macaroni and cheese is unimportant to you. And I think that sometimes... As Christians, we, we kind of get absorbed in our lives and we forget that God's really interested in making sure that people can find him. That we lose our perspective and he wants us to be concerned about finding the ones that are lost. And this is a big deal for us as a church because the truth is God is interested in going after outsiders more than the insiders which is why jesus told the story of the shepherd and the shepherd went and what does it say the scripture says he left the 99 sheep what he left them they're gonna be fine and he goes and finds the one what that means is that he's interested in the one we have a little phrase it's tagline we've used for a long time for the one we are interested in one person coming to jesus this is really significant and it is not for us it is for the one who made them for the one who deserves all glory the one who is lost needs to be found and this is what we talked about the first week second week we started talking about how to do that and this week we're going to talk about telling your story so let's let's pick up the story in matthew 4 Matthew 4, verse 18 through 20, it says, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Notice he didn't say, Make you go to church more. I'll make you lead a small group. 
He didn't say, I'll make you give more regularly. He said, I'm going to teach you how to be fishers of men, how to, how to draw people to me and, and to what I'm doing in the world and in the earth. And they got it, and they left their nets, and they followed him. And, and so um, I've, I've got, you know, this, this really good news for you, for you guys who are, who are kind of scared of this whole process. Right? You're like, some of you are sitting here and you're thinking, I don't know. I mean, I think God wants to make me a fisher of men, but I'm just not very comfortable. You get me in an argument with somebody out there, I think I'll lose. <laughs> Here's the good news. I'm not asking you to argue with anybody. That, you got the wrong idea. No arguing. I desperately want you, though, to experience this idea personally of telling your own story to someone who needs to know who Jesus really is. I so desperately want us all to experience this because the statistics say, as you've heard us say, that there, it, is, it is crazy how, the amount of Christians, American Christians, who've never shared their faith. We gotta do it. Something happens to us when we do it. Look what Peter says in his letter in the Message Bible, which is the modern translation. He says, but you are the ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him, to tell others of the night and day difference he made for you from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. That is it. Wait a minute, you might say. I come here, I pay my tithe, and you preach at them. No. No, no, it's not about me. I'm not the one. You're the one. My role here in the church is to be a pastor, sure, but tons of you have pastoral gifts and other gifts, evangelism gifts, prophetic gifts. You have, there's all kinds of things that God wants to do through you. How terrible if the church gets to, gets to be defined by me. <laughs> I know some of you are like, whoa, <laughs> wait a minute, what are you talking about? No, here's who should define the church, Jesus Christ himself. And he's, and he's the head of the church, by the way. He's doing a good job. That's why we shouldn't be too critical of the church. It's like, it's like my, my, my wife and I were married. I love her deeply. It's terrible if somebody comes along and starts criticizing my bride. I don't like it. I stand up for her. I go get Jansen, and I make him beat them up. It, see, here, Jesus is the bridegroom, and his church is the bride, and he loves you deeply. And as we talk about the church today, and talk about our role in the church, you really need to shift your way of thinking. You know, everybody, say, I am the church. Some of you almost said, Ross is the church. No. <laughs> say, I am the church. Come on, everybody say it. I am the church. We are they. They are us. We are them. We are God's people. And I think we have to understand that we're the ones, we're the ministers, we're the ones who are his representative, the ones who speak out for him. How? We, we just... How do we do it? We just tell people about the night and day difference he's made in our lives. 
Now, we covered this a little bit, so we're going to dig a little bit deeper. But I don't want you to feel the pressure to explain the whole Bible to someone. Let me reiterate that you don't need to worry about Noah and how he got all those animals on the ark. Let me reiterate, you don't need to worry about Jonah and how he survived three days in the belly of the great fish. Not necessarily a whale. But you don't need to worry about the priestly order of Melchizedek. Those things are nice. They have their place. But here's what you need to be prepared to do is tell people why you started following Jesus. Why did you follow him? So let's dig in a little deeper. Number one, I think when you tell your story, when you share about who Jesus is, you've got to share the hope you have. Share the hope you have. This is the place to start. I have hope in my life. Do you? You can. I made a decision to follow Jesus. I have hope. Let me tell you about it. Yeah, but what about that weird thing in the Old Testament? The, 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 that's not even possible. Yeah, I'm not sure about that, but here's what I want to tell you. I want to tell you about why I gave my life to Jesus. 1 Peter 3, 15 through 16 says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Look, people, this verse is literally the plan. There is no other plan. This is it. This is it. You just give a reason. Be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have. Do it with gentleness. Do it with respect. And here's what will happen. People will become ashamed of how they've mistreated you. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a thing here that is going to happen when you share about the hope. And I think there's three elements to sharing your story. Here it is. Three elements to share your story. It's pretty simple. How I realized I needed Jesus. This is before. What was I like before? Let me tell you about what I was like before I met Jesus. I was a mess. It was awful. Start with where you were before you decided to follow him. I, if I tell my story, I remember walking away from the church on a Wednesday night as a 17-year-old boy. My dad was a pastor. My parents had just revealed that they're going to get divorced. It was blowing up the church. It was blowing up at all the elders. and all. I, I couldn't take it. Something was so out of control. And people, I, I, was, I hated stupid people. Sadly, there are all kinds of people in every church. But this was exceptionally hurtful and painful to me. I couldn't figure out how to navigate what I'd been taught all my life. And one day I got it just there was a there was an altercation at the church and 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 arguing and all this stuff and it was so awful. I just took off. I didn't I didn't have anywhere to go. I was just walking away. 40 minutes later I was in some neighborhoods walking around and one of, the, one of the leaders drove up beside me in, in his car, picked me up. But that was the moment where in my mind I walked away. And it was like that for a while. 
remember one Sunday, I have a friend, and he invited me to his church. I didn't want to go to my church because there were stupid people there. <laughs> and, uh, and so he, w- he went to this Spanish church, Spanish-speaking, no English. I, lo- I was like, what could it hurt? <laughs> I, I, I don't know Spanish. I'll just go to church with him. <laughs> That'll be all right. I won't have to hear a bunch of stuff and that I know is not really true. And so I go to his church, and, uh, and they, they, it was just in a little storefront building, and there was not that many people here, and they start singing, and they just keep singing. Like, I don't know what was going on that day, but they wouldn't stop singing. <laughs> like, it was like, oh, my gosh. And then I realized later, oh, this is how they do it. <laughs> Somehow, about an hour into that service, something happened to my soul. And I ended up speaking... Uh, just speaking to God, praying, and letting him speak to me for about three hours with my face against the wall on the other side of the room. And that was the moment that I settled that God is real. People are stupid. (laughs) But that's why Jesus came. Because sin makes you stupid. See what I just did there? And Jesus came to remove sin so that people could receive life and love and wisdom and healing and grace. But everybody's got a story. Everybody's got to tell their story, and it has to have some some contrast. Every good story has to have some tension to it. You got to learn to tell your story with some tension because people want to lean in. But you have to share the hope. I found hope in that service. I, I point to that moment as a, as a defining moment where I, I, I gave in to something that, that seemed so wrong or seemed so like such a failure. I, I gave in to God who, who takes people who fail and he gives them hope. I saw that in my family. I saw that in my in my church, I saw, I've seen that in my life, and I've seen it over and over again in people's lives. So the second way to do it is how I gave my life to Jesus. Sorry, how I surrendered my life to Jesus. It's how I surrendered to him. This is when I gave my life to Jesus. Here's what it looked like. Let me tell you what I did. Let me tell you what I did next is what you want to say. You don't have to tell them what to do next. You really shouldn't do that. We are way too many armchair psychologists in America. we like, oh, that happened to an aunt of mine. What you should do is this. I heard Dr. Phil say, <laughs> I heard Dr. Phil say we behave our way back to success. Okay, listen, you should just tell the story of Jesus. Tell the story about how you gave your life to him. Tell them what you did. I got down on my knees in my bedroom. I stood with my face against the wall for three hours, and God spoke to me. Um, I discovered what he wanted in my heart and my life, and he, he gave his life to me first, and I wanted to give my life back to him. That's how it was. But I have hope. Listen, 
God did not promise, I'm going to make your life perfect. And a lot of people have walked away from faith because they've been sold this idea. It's really important that we understand that there are terrible days that we may have to endure. Because this broken world we live in has all kinds of things going on in it. It's why the world needs the love of God and the love of Christ and the work of His Spirit. It's because it's so broken, it's so messed up, and sometimes we'll have to experience that struggle. We shouldn't promise people that there's no more bad days. Listen, I walked through a church scandal where the pastor failed morally. It was a national story. It was a large church. It was horrendous. Late night talk show hosts were joking about my pastor. I felt ashamed. 13 months later, a man with a thousand rounds of ammunition strapped to his body came on our our property at the church and started shooting people. 13 months later, two girls died that day, that Sunday. I knew them personally. I, <laughs> scandal and tragedy. I've seen it. <laughs> I always love this story because in every conversation, whatever bad church story you have, I always win. <laughs> oh, really, that's so bad for you. Let me tell you what happened to me. <laughs> now, it's not true if you go to China or you go to the Middle East. Mm, our vision of church just got bigger. But everybody has their own story. Everybody has things they have to walk through. But here, can I tell you something? What happened to me when I decided to plant one chapel was I, I, I had gone through a process because I'd seen somebody fail and I'd seen the danger that Christians around the world actually go through every day and I'd seen it up close I'd seen the blood in the parking lot and I had to, I had to do a gut check what is this we're doing here what am I doing is this worth it do I really have hope? Or is my only hope in some, some, somewhere in the future in heaven, and I just hope I can get there? I had to go through a process, and what I, what I call that season in the, the, my life and in my family's life is we walk through the valley of the shadow of death with a group of people. And I learned what it means when the psalmist says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. Because you're with me. And I endured the scandal and the tragedy, and I endured the aftermath, and God did something. He put hope back in my soul. Because you know what happened? I, I realized I saw that church walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and they loved each other. And they cared for each other. And they lifted themselves up and they started doing 
things for their community instead of pitying themselves. And something happened as a result of that. And I started thinking about all of the years, the dark ages of the church, the, 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 the ages across the history and what was happening to the church. And no matter what persecution, no matter what tyranny, no matter what failure, no matter what happened to people, the church remains. You've got to understand it's bigger. It's bigger than just, oh, I liked the music today. That was nice. There's a supernatural quality to it that you've got to believe in. They go to have hope in. And so I, I think you have to share the story of what God has done in your life. This is my story. You have a story. You have an experience. And every person in our church has to, has to have this experience and share about it. So you've got to tell before how I, how I was before I met Jesus, the difference he made uh, sorry, the, how, how, I gave, how I surrendered my life to Jesus and then the difference he made in my life after. And you should say, listen, I'm far from perfect. I got all kinds of issues that need tissue. <laughs> and we do. I got stuff in my history that messes with me. So do you. Even in my role as your pastor, I got stuff in my history that messes with me. I'm one of you. You are with me. We are the church. We are what God is doing here in an incredible way. God never said, I'm going to make your life perfect because the whole world is imperfect. And as, and as soon as you come to the church, it becomes imperfect. So listen, here's the thing. You got to get over this thing. You got to tell your story. And you got to share the hope. But the second thing you got to do is you got to share your church. You got to share the community of life that you have. I'm not talking about the organization, I'm talking about the people. You got to share the purpose and the life. We're trying to build a church here where people far from God can come. It's a big deal to us. People who are far from God can come and sit through. Our sharing, our worship, our, our discussions, they can sit through it and they can see that Jesus may have a solution for their lives. I don't want this church to be just a church for church people. That would make us inward. All of the, all of the pull for a community of people is always inward. You've got to you got to stand up and force yourself to look out. You have to. Because the rest of the pull is in. Oh, I'm in the in club. Oh, I know the in people. Oh, I mean, junior high never ends. <laughs> it's kind of a problem. It's kind of a problem. So we have to fight against it. I also want there to be services where believers and people who are far from God attend together. And, they, and we come together and we worship God. And we won't judge each other. And we won't be angry at each other, we'll forgive one another, we'll surrender to what God is doing, we'll, have, we'll give people a hug, we'll hand them a cup of coffee, and we'll just let them know they can belong, even though they don't even know what they believe yet. I want them to be able to sh 
show up here and be loved. You might say, well, if we do that, then the church is going to get too big. <laughs> Great. You and I should not be scared of church getting bigger. I know there's a big thing in our country about big churches, but listen, you, you, <laughs> you already are a big church, I hate to tell you. Compared to the average church, which is about 100 people, you're already big. You're already huge, <laughs> right? So I, 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 I think it's funny. I have people come to our church, and they're like, yeah, I was going to this one church, and I came over here because I just need something small. I just need something smaller. And I think, well, good luck. It's going to get bigger. <laughs> and it should get bigger because every person represents a story. And God is doing something in the earth. Now, the way we deal with the bigness is we're going to send people to different places in our city. That's what 10 churches in 10 years is all about. It's as we grow, we're going to plant more churches so that people can be in a setting where they're going to know each other, and, but they're going to own their community. And what, what does it mean to own your community? It means that you're going to be the, the person that shares what happened to you, the light transformation that happened in your dark life. And that's going to happen over and over and over again in the Austin region by God's grace at one chapel. And you shouldn't be afraid of it. Well, it's uncomfortable. I'm just not sure. You know, I just like my friends. Did you know there's one reason in the Bible that Jesus gives for leaving your family and friends? It's sharing the gospel. Everything else is be with your family, be with your friends. There's one reason why people go. It's the gospel. Luke 14, 23 says, go into the country and urge anyone you find to come in so that my house will be full. I know you don't like it when, you gets, when it gets full. Like, it's pretty full this morning. <laughs> and you're like, I have to sit beside people. It's like you're, you're coming to a movie theater. You know, it's like I want to cheer right here between me and another person. <laughs> Too bad. The gospel is more important. And we'll get some more chairs, and we'll do some more things, and then we'll plant another church. But listen, we got to be about that. That's what we have to, we have to convince ourselves that this is who we are. We're not consumers, just consuming everything that one of the pastors feeds us. We're actually, we're actually the ones who are taking the message. So what do you do? What do you do if you're going to share... <laughs> what are you going to do if you're going to share this community of church with them? I think you have to do a few things here. You have to pray for them. I just talked about that. Seek first. We're going to pray this week. We're going to pray for people. We want to reach with Jesus. In fact, you've got a card right here. It's called, it says just one. Just one. There is, no, there, is, there is no way that you get the right opportunity in the right moment unless you pray for a person. I really believe that. And that, those prayers are, are not necessarily about that person. They're more about you. <laughs> Don't say the wrong thing at the wrong time. Be ready always to give the hope. Don't hesitate. See, if you're praying, you hesitate less. So this thing says, I'm going to take the risk. I'm going to share my faith with, and there's the, there's the line. You put the person's name right here. Everybody get this in your hand right here, right now. 
You've only got, you've got one on every other chair, so it's not going to be enough. But you, you put that thing, and you put it on your, you put it on your bathroom mirror, and you, and you pray for them. You listen to their story. You share your story when the time is right, and you invite them to church. I want you to real. This is, this is what just one means. During this year, is it possible that you and I, each of us, would just bring one person to Jesus? Could we partner with God to bring one person into the kingdom? That's what this is. That's what we're talking about. And, it's, and there's a fight for it. It's going to be a fight. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, The God of this age is blind in the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We've got to cry out to God that he'll, he'll cause them to see. He'll open their ears to hear. The second thing you've got to do is show them you care. You've got to do something practical. We're looking for all kinds of practical things that we're doing around our communities. But you're in your neighborhood, there are needs, there, there are things that need to be done. There's stuff in, the, in your neighbor's yards that needs to be taken care of. There, there are things happening in that house that you don't even know about yet, but you need to find out about it so you can meet the need. We've been doing this through schools, through Sunset Valley Elementary, and, 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 and through, through ADRN and through others, other places where we're just trying to make sure we're pushing out into showing people that we care. And here, so people don't know. They, here's this phrase. You know, you've heard this phrase before. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. You can tell them stuff all day long. It's like, no, 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 no. Yeah, you're doing this, I want you to do this, right? People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. You've got to show them you love them. So here's the question. Can you help me? Like, this is what people are really asking. I really don't care about your services or your campus that much. <laughs> right? The question is, do you care about, do you, can you help me? Is there real help here? My kids are a disaster. My marriage is falling apart. My finances are wrecked. Can you really help me? Do you care about me? Man, I'm just looking for actually, actually for someone who actually cares. Do you have time for that is the question. Do you and I have time for that? Can we care about them? Can I trust you is what they're asking. Good question. Now, here's the thing. I don't think you should invite them to church necessarily on the first time, first time you meet them, but I do think that that happens. It happens all the time, and that's one of the reasons. And, and, and it's a good, it is a good thing to do, but it's, it's like this community that, that you belong to that you should never be ashamed of. You should never hide it. It's part of who you are. It's part of what God is doing in our city. And, it, and it's bigger than one chapel. There's all kinds of people that are our brothers and sisters and our extended family members in this city. And it will take time. I had coffee with a, a young man named Austin Bailey who's in our church. And he's such a brilliant guy. I love him so much. And he's kind of your classic Austinite, you know, he's scruffy and has long hair and kind of has tattoos and he's got like you know he just he just has this incredible story and and he <laughs> he came from from parents who were christians but then he just got so interested in in the occult and in all kinds of just crazy new age stuff and i mean cr the crazy stuff like like he was experiencing all kinds of spirituality and it messed him up 
And I remember we were just, we were having coffee, we were reminiscing about the day he walked in. Somebody had invited him to church, and he hadn't been to church in years and years, and he walked in here and sat right back there and cried his eyes out during the whole service. You just don't know. You just don't know what can happen. It may take time for them as you invite them to come with you to church. Let's not just, let's not, here's the thing. Let's not just tell them when and where. You've got to invite them to come with you, sit with them. And here's what I always believe. I think you've got to invite people to church at least twice out of the year. Two out of 52. 50 times you can just come and worship Jesus is awesome. Two out of 52, you're going to have somebody sitting right by you. And you are nervous. You are freaking out. Come on, Ross, don't mess it up for me. I hope this worship leader does it right. Right? You need that adventure in your life. You need that thing. Right? Because God's doing something. And I, I think, I think we've got to settle that we love our community and we love our church. That's why we have a ton of T-shirts and yard signs. And, and there's all kinds of stuff out here. This says, I love my church. But you've got to understand what that means. Here it is. I love my church. No, listen, this is, a, this is a conversation starter. They may not want to come to your church, but you're going to be outed as a Christian. <laughs> I just think it's important. Like, you, we're not, statistically, in American culture, church people are not starting enough conversations to see people come to Jesus in large numbers. This kind of kickstarts that. <laughs> it kind of forces that. I think we've lived under kind of a little banner of shame in a society where everything gets political, right? Politics is kind of how every conversation goes, right? So, so you're afraid to put this in your yard because, oh my gosh, they're gonna think I'm fill in the blank. What I'm telling you today is have courage. Have courage. Have courage and don't be ashamed of what Jesus is doing at one chapel. Don't be ashamed at what Jesus is doing in the church at large in Austin. Don't be ashamed that you belong to something. And when you belong to it, See, I, and, I, and I think sometimes we get we get a little weirded out by this whole thing as, as we're as we're as we're you know trying to take the risks. Listen, you're going to crash and burn. That's okay. But you don't know when. Here's the funny part: you're not going to really know when you crash and burn, because God might be using the very thing that you thought was a crash and burn in the conversation. Does that make sense? You don't know when that is. You don't know what's going to happen. There's so many ways that God can use a conversation starter like a t-shirt or like like a like a, a sticker and you guys there's like two two kinds of stickers you know like a bunch of you are teenagers you can't drive and you probably shouldn't be driving but you you you, you do use sorry that was a little rough wasn't it but you do have a phone and so you need to use that on your phone and so i just think there's i just think there are ways in which we're going to push forward as a church and say no god's called us to something and it is a vision to do what only he can do in other people's lives, to share hope, to invite them to my church, and then finally, of course, to share Jesus. To share Jesus. 
Share Jesus. Listen, there's two things that people need to know, and then I'll, I'll kind of close with this. Two things that people need to know. The first thing they need to know is that Jesus loves them. First thing you need to know is Jesus loves you. He loves you. What about Jonah? Oh, I'm not sure about Jonah. <laughs> what about the four horsemen of the apocalypse? I don't, it's, I don't, not sure about that. But what I have become convinced of is that Jesus is who he says he is. And that historically, he has more, um, more, more activity and more recorded history than so many of our famous people. And I've met him personally. And I know him. And he loves you. Listen, everybody has a spiritual part of themselves that wants to connect with God. And the truth is, many, many people in Austin are spiritual. Right? It's just the wrong spirit. <laughs> right? They're spiritual. It's like, you've heard, it, you've heard it said, you know, I'm very spiritual, but I'm not religious. That's code for I love God or whatever I made God out to be in my mind, but I don't like people. I, like God, I love God, but I don't love his people. Everyone is longing for something in their heart. This is, it's, it's a real thing. And what I'm, all I'm telling you to do is just tap into that. Just see if you can't get to that longing and have a conversation about it. It's like a homing device. It's leading them back to God. And they'll call it all kinds of things. They'll call it the trees. I just feel the trees. Yes, yes, you're just missing. It's not the trees, the one who made the trees. Number two, here's the second thing they need to hear. They, what they need to hear is he has a great plan for your life. He has something good that he wants to give you. He wants to help you. John 10, 10 says, a thief only comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. There's, a, there's something about darkness and evil that people want to kind of like, oh, it's, no, it's fine. Um, I'm fine. In fact, in fact, the Bible talks about how the devil masquerades as an angel of light. And I just feel like they don't know really what they're talking about so often as they're talking about their own spirituality. Because when it gets right down to it in the story of God, in the story of, of history, the problem, right, there's three components of salvation. The problem is sin. The problem is sin. Three basic parts of the salvation story. The pr problem is sin. We don't experience God's love or great plan because something's in the way. There's stuff in the way for, that he wants to do. And, and he is a gentleman. He's not going to force his way. You know, I've stopped saying God is in control. Not because he is not in some way in control. He's certainly in charge. But I've stopped saying God is in control because it makes people think that he controls everything. He doesn't control everything. He gave you a, a, a powerful force in the universe called your will. And he wants people to choose him. That's the only way Christianity works. It only works by permission. Don't think you can talk somebody into it. If you talk them into it, if you force them into it, that's not Christianity. That's not becoming a follower of Jesus. <laughs> that's forcing somebody into some religious system. The problem, though, is sin. There's something in the way of getting to God. There's separation. There's a refusal 
There's a chasm. There's a big grand canyon in between them and God. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and sh- fall short of the glory of God. 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. It's like Tim Keller has this great illustration. It's about if a guy, like a, one of your neighbors, backs his car out of his driveway, but backs it right into your living room. Like he just like got it stuck, whatever, and he, and he, and he, and he wrecked the car, and he wrecked part of your house. Well, then how are you going to fix it? You're going to be calling insurance companies forever. But if you think about it, there's only two options. You have to fix it, or he has to fix it. Or there's some combination of, I'm going to share this amount, of, and you're going to share that amount. No, if, if, if there was some extenuating circumstances. But, there's, but in every scenario, the debt has to be paid. Nobody, nobody says, oh, it's all right, let's just leave it. <laughs> Got a gaping hole in my f- living room. No, I, I, the car's mangled. There, some, there's a debt that must be paid. Some, something's going to have to happen. And this is the problem that we find as we're trying to figure out how to help people is they, they don't, if you don't believe in sin, if you don't believe in, in, in a chasm, in something in the way, then it's hard to figure out how God is so loving. How do I deal with the sin that separates us? It has to be paid for. You can pay for it. What's the cost? Oh, it's death. Oh, what do you do? You want to be with God, but sin's in the way. To get rid of the sin, you have to die. But if you die, you're not with God. But the gift of God is Jesus Christ who died for you and gave you eternal life in its place. See, the problem with sin is it puts death in the place where life belongs. Puts death in the place where life belongs. And it's, the world is running around. We're running around trying to feel alive with death living in it. Solution is Jesus. People are separated from God because of sin. Jesus is the solution. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his love, his own love towards us in that while we were sinners, Christ died. God said, I'll pay the bill for you. And <laughs> I love this. In John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Why Jesus? Because he's the only one who was willing to pay the bill. And so there's really only one thing that's left. If you, if you really understand, problem is sin, Jesus is the solution, and then there's really one more thing. It's your response. Everyone has to respond. Everyone has to receive. You have to decide. You have to welcome Jesus. The response is up to you. Close your eyes, bow your heads, and let's just pray about this for a second. Because... This is, this is a struggle on a couple of levels. The first level is, Pastor Ross, I, I don't even, I'm barely a Christian. I, I don't even know. I d- I'm not following Jesus. You might be sitting here and you're thinking, I, wow, nice message, but I need what you're actually talking about. And if that's you today, Jesus is the one who wants to take sin out of the way and he wants to give you life where death is now wreaking havoc. 
So would you be willing to give yourself to him today? Maybe it's just the first time in a long time and you're trying to figure it out today. I want you to come to him and give your life to him. Give your life to him once more. It's never too late. There's never too much water under the bridge. You can come to him today and he's ready, he's waiting. He doesn't want you to be perfect or have to line up with some idea that's preconceived in your head. He wants you to come just as you are with all the mess and all the junk and all the stuff and he wants to take it from you and he wants to say, here, let me have that. Let me have that. I want that. He's the only one who can do with it what needs to be done. He's the savior. He's the healer. But then there's a second level of this talk that has to do with our willingness to take the risk. Those of us who are followers of Jesus, who know the work of God's Spirit in our lives and being more attentive and being willing to tell our story, being willing to take a risk to tell the story of God's interaction with us. Not getting sidetracked with all the nuances of biblical knowledge or or intellectual criticism or or political language got to cut through all that and if you're willing to do that I want to pray with you today I want to pray with every one of us because God has a purpose and a plan for this church that is bigger than we think So would you just bow your heads with me and, and just right there, you don't have to say all the words, but you gotta pray the prayer. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta say it to Jesus. So just, just say it in your own way as I pray over us. Father, we just come to you and we're, we're all amazed at how we come to this moment and there's a, there's a real question in our own heart, a question in our own soul. We want to respond to you and we ask you, Lord, to forgive us for allowing sin to stay in the way. Jesus, you've stepped in and paid the debt for us. Our broken lives, all messed up, death reigning in us where life should belong. Father, we exchange our death for your life. The way, the truth, and the life, we say yes to you today. And we say yes to that revelation coming alive in us. Even those who, who, who follow you even now, we ask you to help us to see with new eyes the world around us. Help us to hear your voice. Help us to follow your leadership and help us to to be courageous in the risks that we take to start conversations. Father, we thank you for this. We thank you for forgiving us. We thank you for healing us. We thank you for giving us a new start today. A new start right here. In Jesus' name.